Bill High is on a mission to encourage families to plan multi-generationally, and he believes that generosity is an essential practice of healthy multi-generational families. Now this morning, as we are getting ready to celebrate Thanksgiving, we are revisiting a conversation with Bill, who co-authored the book, A Generous Life, with the founder and CEO of Hobby Lobby, David Green. Bill, what we love to do with our guests before we kind of dive into the content of the day is we just love to get to know you as a brother in Christ first and hear a little bit of your spiritual journey, how you came to fall in love with Jesus. My journey is a little bit different from some. My dad was the oldest of eight, grew up in the hills of the Missouri Ozarks, lived in a three-room log cabin, so you can imagine what that was like. He joined the service, went over to Japan, met my mom, brought her back, had six kids. I was fifth out of six, and we never darkened the door of a church in our lives. So I had no idea that there was anything called a church or that there was a church, that there was a God, that there was not a God, until a family down the street brought me a children's Bible storybook. Still have that thing today, but wow. once I began reading that book, that's how God began drawing me to Himself is through the stories of the Bible, all the great stories, David, Goliath, Moses, Joshua, all those kind of things. That was when the light bulb went on that there was a God and that I was not, and I needed the person of Christ to save me from my sin. So growing up in that non-believing home, come to know Christ through a neighbor and the influence of that, how did your faith continue to get nurtured after that point? Well, what happened is I was in a small little Southern Baptist church, but it wasn't too long after that when my father actually passed away. Mm -hmm. So I was 12 when he passed away. But right about that time, as my dad was dying, he had cancer. He'd suffered from alcoholism the whole bit. But at the same time he was passing away, my oldest brother had gone away to college and became a Christian through the Navigator Ministry. And he came back and showed me how to begin reading the Bible on my own and studying it and to have a quiet time and to memorize Scripture. From an early age, I was a guy that started to have a pretty good grounding in God's Word. You know, for 40-some years, I've been reading the Bible virtually every single day and journaling, and it's been a great journey just to study God's Word. Bill, I read that your mission is to change the way that people think about generosity and their practice of it. I mean, you've had conversations, you've thought a lot about this area. What would you say typically defines a person's attitude towards generosity? Generosity or giving as a matter of course hasn't changed in 40 years. Going back to the time of the Great Depression even, people are still giving about 2% of their income every single year. So we haven't had a lot of change in people's charitable giving practices for, as I say, the Great Depression. And so you ask the question why that is, and I think one of the reasons why that's true is that we fail really to understand the simple idea that God's a generous God and that He loves us and He overflows with that great love for us. And when we begin to experience the generosity of God in that way, that's when we begin to be generous ourselves. And so it's just really returning to some of those basic ideas, I think, when people live the generous life. And at the end of the day, you know, it is that paradoxical kind of idea is that the more we give, the more joyful we actually get to experience life. Who's going to be the most joyful person in all of heaven? It's going to be Jesus because he gave it all away. Bill, when I think about generosity, I think of having a lot. Like to be generous, I have to have something to be generous with. So I don't think about generosity naturally with someone who doesn't have a lot of money. 
but that's obviously when I think about it consciously, that's not true. So I'd love to hear your thoughts and heart on that. You know, I was just with a group of business leaders and we actually gave them a 30-day generosity challenge. And the 30-day generosity challenge, to be honest, most of it had very little to do with money. Most of it was around the daily acts of being mindful of people, whether that's the person at the coffee shop being willing to give a compliment, to give eye contact, to give a smile, to be intentional with living a generous life. That's what it really begins to look like. I think that's how Jesus lived. He was always walking around. You see him throughout the New Testament that there was somebody grabbing the fringe of his cloak. There was somebody that had a conversation. Jesus was approachable, and there always seemed to be that kind word or the challenging question or the touch of healing, whatever it would be. And I think that's what we're called to be like. I love that. I love that thought of generosity being something far more than just money. I've found that some of the things that have been most rewarding is just like the other day I was out of town and I stayed at a hotel where I'd stayed once before, but it was the woman, you know, a lot of these hotels will have the breakfast kind of stuff out. And this woman was just very careful to always say good morning. And, you know, I like your sport code. And she was just incredibly cheerful. And so my act of generosity was when the crowd had kind of pulled away from her, is just to go up to her and say, thank you for being so cheerful this morning and for spreading some joy in the world. And she stops and she pauses like, oh, well, thank you. That's what I think it begins to look like because that's when we show the light and the love of Christ on a day-by-day basis. Bill, one of the principles laid out in the book, you talk about the first step is to make the end the beginning. Could you unpack that for us this morning? What do you mean by that? The book of uh, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says, for we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I think we live our lives too much in view of the day-to-day and not enough in view of that day, the day that we'll stand before Jesus and he'll say, man, how'd you do with what I gave you? And when we live with the end in mind, it causes us to live a little bit differently on a day-by-day basis because God has put resources into our hands. Those resources include our time, our talent, our financial resources, Uh, He's put truth in our hands. We get to share that truth or not share that truth. And so all around, I believe Jesus is going to say, man, Stan, how did you do with what I gave you? And when we begin knowing that we'll be held accountable for our use of God's resources, that's what I say is beginning with the end in mind. It makes us more conscious, more aware that that's the kind of life that God wants us to live on a day-by-day basis. But without that vision of what the end looks like, I'm afraid we just live too haphazard. Bill, I'd love to hear a little bit about your journey in terms of generosity. None of us in, in many ways are born that way, right? I think about couples when they get married, a typical thing I hear is I didn't realize how selfish I was until I got married. What's been your journey? How did you start to kind of have some breakthrough in terms of generosity? Some of it goes back to my own story with losing my father at an early age. I struggled for six, seven years with this whole idea of how could God be a taker? One of the things that I had to come to the place is to realize how generous he was in fact with me. 
So in my own case, what I recognize is that God was willing to exercise severe mercy with me, to take away my father so I could know my heavenly father, which bears far more dividends than even any earthly father relationship I could have, because that's an eternal relationship. So God was willing to be generous with me in that way. And as a result of that, when I began to grab a hold of how good and generous God was with me, even in college, I was a guy that was given 12 bucks a month. I mean, who gives 12 bucks a month? Why do you give 12 bucks a month? I was almost embarrassed to send off a $12 a month check to the ministry that I was supporting. But that was my first step of obedience. And along the way, you know, one of the great things that God calls us to support widows and orphans. I've been able to support my mom as a widow over these years, and it's been one of those very freeing things is to recognize that I'm giving up stuff for myself. You know, even when we got married, my wife and I were people that just started out, and I would say, frankly, that our giving was more of an act of obedience than an act of joy. As we've continued to go down this road of seeking to be intentionally generous, it's been these kind of random acts of generosity that we've been able to live out. We've been able to increase the amount that we've given. We've been able to surprise people with great gifts. It's been this journey from obedience to kind of the reckless kind of joy that goes with it, which, again, I think is reflective of how Jesus lived, the reckless joy that chases after the one and leaves the 99, that kind of reckless love kind of idea. Bill, earlier this morning you quoted that statistics haven't changed much, that the typical person, even believing person in church, gives about 2% of their income, potentially. Probably all of us, maybe, or at least a lot of us, have given at some point, and man, it just felt good. Like, we've had the experience of the joy of giving, yet for many of us, it's still a struggle. Why the struggle? Why is it so hard for us to consistently live in a spirit of generosity? You know, I think it's because so oftentimes we don't get to see its impact. So one of the antidotes to that, by the way, that I encourage people to do is go do an activity like this, the 30 days of generosity in all forms, shapes, and sizes, as I say, whether it's a pay it forward in the coffee line, give the compliment kind of thing, and watch the reaction. Rick Warren talks about the idea of random generosity. Walk around with the $20 bill or the $50 bill or the $5 bill, as the case may be. Walk up to the guy cleaning the restroom and say, man, I appreciate what you're doing. Here's a tip for you. When we see the impact on people's lives, inevitably the response from those people who encounter the generosity that you live out, you know what their common response is, Dan? You know what they say to you? Who does this? Why'd you do this? And when they say that, that's one of those places where we say, Jesus does this. That's how you live. And so when we get to live that out and see the response of people, it's contagious. The generosity then becomes the contagious expression of kingdom life. And that's why the movement that Jesus started all those years ago continues, because his generosity is one of those things that people continue to say, who does this? And so I think for our own lives and our own hearts, we need to live out some of that contagious generosity, but also see the response of people to say, hey, this stuff works. So that's what I encourage is some of that antidote. Break out of that. I wrote a check and put it in the plate. 
you know, sometimes we don't see the impact of that, but we can if we live it out on a day-by-day basis. Bill, writing a book, being a part of this whole creative process of communicating truth, it's a labor of love. It's an investment made. What drew that out of you? Why did you want to be a part of this? What was your hope of impact? As we've worked with David Green, the CEO and founder of Hobby Lobby, we've been able to not only be around him, but host events with him where we brought in people of, frankly, sometimes great wealth. And I mentioned the fact of great wealth because sometimes, to be honest, those are the people who have the hardest time letting stuff go. But the point being is, over time, those people would come to us and say, can you help us? Can you tell us, in essence, how do we let go of the hold that this world has on us? And so that's what this book really was, a bit of a roadmap to say, man, here are some steps that you need to consider. And that's why I say part of that first step is to begin with the end in mind. We all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Not one of us will be exempt. And so when we begin to recognize those kind of things, then we all experience a commonality. So that's what we were trying to do is to give people not the authoritative roadmap, but the journey of what one family has been on and some within that, my own journey as well. Bill, I know that you are as well as I am a father, a grandfather. It's always interesting to me that we don't have to teach our kids or, or grandkids to say mine. Super, super easy. It's like it's just inborn in us. You write in the book that one of the beginning principles of generosity is to recognize that everything is God's. So how do we get the place where we can move from this posture of mine to not mine, but God's? David Green writes in his book that one of the things that he literally had to do was take out a piece of paper and acknowledge, God, this is your business. And so sometimes I actually encourage families to retitle stuff, even if it's within their journal and says, God, this house is yours. These kids are yours. And I give them up to you. It's been one of the things that I find is the transformative act inside of a person's life is when they recognize God's ownership. It is one thing, then, of course, to write it down on paper. It's another thing to actually live that out. And that's why generosity is such a great antidote for that mind kind of syndrome. As you think about the book, Bill, was there any surprises as it began to kind of unfold? Anything that you weren't expecting to see or a point that you weren't expecting to be there? One of the things that I am learning right now is this idea of family legacy. And what you find, of course, is that people go about their business lives and they will define a business vision and mission and values. And so they work really hard at being intentional about their business, but they don't do the same on their family. They don't have a family mission or a family vision statement or a set of family values. And that's been, I think, been the surprising thing is the necessity and need for a family to chart out their course. Because if you don't know where the compass is pointing, it's going to be really hard to get there. And the Green family in particular, they've charted out their course. Their hope is that their family would continue to be around for a thousand generations from now. That's the whole Exodus 20 verse 6 kind of passage to the righteous a thousand generations. And I think we just need to change our perspective, the vision that we have for our families, because family is the first institution for instilling values to preserve culture on a generational basis. One of those values being generosity, because, again, it reflects the person and the character of Christ. So that's been my big 
aha moment is how necessary that is and how perhaps we as a country need to return really to this biblical idea of family. Bill, as you just talked a few moments ago about the whole family legacy plan, obviously brand new thought for lots of us as we listen this morning. What's a step that we could take to start moving that direction for our family? One of the simple places to start is just to write down the 10 stories that your kids need to know about you and your wife, your family. What are the 10 stories that are critical that they know? Because within those stories are the life lessons. And it may be the loss of a loved one. It may be the best day in your life, the worst day in your life, the hardest business lesson, any of those kind of things. But at the end of the day, the book of Ecclesiastes says that God has put eternity into the heart of man. We all want to be part of something that lasts. So when we know what those stories are and we can begin to share them with our kids and our grandkids, that's the first step in developing a generational legacy. I've heard the statistic that our kids will forget 90% of our stories. But when we have the story, this is a whole book of a judge's idea, one generation who arose who did not know the law of God how powerful it is when our kids and our grandkids know the 10 stories that have most impacted our lives. Bill, as we're talking here a little bit about family legacy and intentionality with our family, with our kids, what would you say one of the biggest mistakes that you see people consistently make in regards to their kids? Today, we have allowed culture to define family. And we've reached a point in our country where even the replacement rate, the birth rate is down to 1.7. And so we don't see children as valuable. And the idea around family is that we'll have kids and we'll be nice, happy family. And our job is to raise kids to independence, to grow up and go out and be on their own. And then I get to retire and go play golf. That is not God's picture of family. And so that's the biggest mistake is that our job is to raise these little independent little silos, when in fact what God always intended was the idea is that we would remain interdependent as a family because we need one another. Ken Boa says that we come to Christ as individuals, but we grow in community. Well, our first community is the family. And so just resetting the biblical notion of family, as I think, is our first fundamental need and correspondingly our biggest mistake. We can't buy into the lie of what society says family is about, which is are these little independent silos. If you look historically in our country, the first families were really commonwealths. They were a mixture of economic and social and biblical proportions. Well, Bill, it has been so good being able to connect with you this morning here on My Bridge. Thank you so much for all of the insight that you've shared with us. You've really given us a lot to consider when it comes to how we think about generosity. Again, thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me on, and we bless you all.